welcome to Wonks and War Rooms, where political communication theory meets on-the-ground strategy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Dubois, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Ottawa. Today, my guest is Naomi Sayers, and we are talking about assemblages. So can we start off with you telling me a little bit about yourself, Naomi? Yeah, so I am a sole practitioner, uh, meaning I am a lawyer who works alone. Uh, but that doesn't mean I work on files alone or that I work in an office and I'm by myself. I don't actually have an office, so my practice is primarily uh, what we call paperless, digital, or tech-based, or what some people call in the cloud. And I love it because I can go anywhere. I just need my computer and make sure that it works and an internet connection. I practice primarily in public law, so anything where a government or a government body makes an adi- a decision that affects you personally, which is quite broad. Um, and people don't think that their rights are infringed until, until they're taken away, if you will, which is the sad part because sometimes that's the most vulnerable and marginalized people. And there's deadlines that run and not everybody knows, you know, the, the, those little things that are required. As you know, in this podcast, we talk about political communication theories, and the one that I want to talk to you about today is called assemblages. Have you heard of assemblages before? No. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) That's the ideal situation. Um, So let's start off. I'm going to give the kind of academic background on what assemblages it is in a real short, short snippet. Um, Assemblages theory is pretty complex and I have to say the way it's often described I find very confusing so I'm doing my best to really hone in on the Polcom part. So the basic idea of assemblages is that all social systems are made up of a bunch of different people and objects and signs and relationships between all of those things and we use the idea of assemblages to point to how fluid and changeable our social systems actually are. So in political communication we could think about You know, there are a bunch of established news media organizations that are made up of journalists and editors who then interact with each other. They interact with political officials, with lawyers, with civil society groups and activists and the general public. And as they're interacting with each other, they're using all kinds of different channels of communication. So it could be face to face. It could be via Zoom. It could be email or social media. Uh, And so then each of those different tools becomes part of this assemblage and the system. And we call all of these different players actants. So the people, the organizations, the tools, they're all actants. And they interact with each other. And that is kind of the the reason we care about assemblages is because it's a theory that helps point to the relationships between people and tools and their roles. Is this making sense? Yeah. I think um, maybe an equivalent in the corporate world would be like the escalation of a complaint, maybe. So like you don't go directly to the CEO, you go call the call center and then you rely on the appeal process that they have, may have outlined. There's the ombudsman um, in, a, in an internal, sometimes corporation, large corporations like say Bell Canada. Um, and then you, from there, you, you, you know, you can escalate it further and, um, sometimes the CEO has an as what they call the executive office, and there's actually a dedicated complaint 
center mm-hmm. that if you actually escalate your complaints to that level, they, it's it's reached such a matter that you actually will have a dedicated support team. Oh, that's a really great example. I think that, you know, what you described there is very hierarchical, right? Like there's a, a clear <laughs> yeah. transition from from bottom to top. And what's neat about the idea of assemblages is it can include that sort of hierarchical approach, but it also can include more kind of like networked approaches where there isn't a clear step from one level to the next. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So I I first came across your work because you have um, Indigibot, which is <laughs> a Twitter account that uh, you have automated to post things on Twitter. So you're a real human, an actant, who created this tool, this bot, which is housed on Twitter, which is its own company and technical infrastructure. Uh, and so I think Indigibot's a really interesting kind of actant that we have within assemblages. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could just talk a little bit about maybe what, why you created it and and how it interacts in, in this world. Yeah, so Indigibot is... Um, I used a platform called If This Then That. And If This Then That has like made um, me streamline my own life. And I've used, now I now I use Zapier in my law practice, which is um, a similar tool, but you can pay and you do, does more complex, um, I guess, linkages. So If This Then That forces two applications that normally don't talk to each other to talk to each other. And um, what I did here was um, with the publicly available case law on Canli, so that's C-A-N-L-I-I dot com or dot C-A, um, which is publicly available legal research database that has case law. It's, it's becoming more complex where it has uh, secondary research and peer-reviewed articles. And I actually originally started off with admin law. So administrative law and monitoring what um, the case law was saying about a specific case in a specific area of law. Um, and I did it because the, the, the changes that happen in case law is it's fast. And especially with this decision, which was the Vavilov decision, Supreme Court Canada decision, which like changed the review, the administrative law and how um, decisions are reviewed and I needed a way to monitor this without doing extra work. So the Twitter account did that. And at the same time, I'd, I would also select some interesting cases that I would review. So it was also me learning and also me, um, just monitoring, which is I'm required to do as a lawyer uh, to remain up to date on the law. And then COVID happened and I was like, okay, Nobody cares about a min law right now. Well, I, they do, but like... It's not um, the top priority in the middle of yeah. a pandemic. <laughs> so I took that, everything that I built for that min law, I just said, okay, now we're going to monitor COVID. And I have been monitoring it, um, not as of lately, because I just like, um, what I ended up doing was I ended up, it's on Twitter, but I also wanted it to compile in a table that was easy to read and easy to filter for other people. People hate Excel spreadsheets, but I used uh, this other program called Awesome Table, which is free. And I have to go back and update it. I haven't updated it since like May. So I'm worried about how much case law needs to be organized. <laughs> um, 
because there's trends. So it was going from COVID, coronavirus, novel coronavirus to global pandemic. So I don't know what the words are now in case law. So I'll probably have to add new terms to monitor. So, um, so sorry, the way the bot works, you you say these are the key terms I want you to look for in this set of case law from that database yes. that exists. So it actually it uses RR. RSS feeds. Okay. And I know that's like, like 1990 internet cool <laughs> stuff, but um, the RSS feeds you can set up to monitor key terms on this website. Basically any website that you can set up an RSS feed, you can monitor for its changes. And then that, the, the results feed into a Google spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. So then the Google spreadsheet then feeds to Twitter Mm-hmm. And then from the Google spreadsheet, what I do manually is I comb through it and, you know, I, I see who, like what, what decisions are reporting. Um, so there was at the, at the height of it, there was a lot of real estate mortgages, um, landlord and tenant. Uh, now there's an increase in consent and capacity board decisions. And I don't know if it's, it's, if it's an increase in a decision being reported or if these are decisions that are being reported and then um, published right away. So I, I don't know if there's a delay. So I, cause I haven't reviewed it in the past few months. Um, but you, you start to see trends like that and then you start to see how the case law uses these terms. So like, I'm sure there's probably terms like unprecedented times in there or our current situation that is not being monitored. I'll have to go back and I'll have to have to redo it. Yeah. That's super interesting. And you can really see how like that use of different key terms that's showing up in this really quickly changing case law might also parallel the way that public officials are describing what's happening and the key terms they choose to use and the what terms mm-hmm. journalists are using. And and so you start to see how all of those different actants in the assemblage are all intertwined. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it also monitors legislation, too. So, cause I didn't limit it to just case law. So um, I got to see which legislation was being updated outside of the stuff that was being reported. So, you know, any public health legislation that included, started to include novel coronavirus in its, mm-hmm. in its you know, what it over oversaw or provided oversight for. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Are other people using this tool too? Do you, I, like you've made it publicly available, the bot at mm-hmm. least, you know, it's not a private account. Do you know if other people are using it? Yeah. So I share, I share it with lawyers um, and other lawyers. And if they want access to the Excel spreadsheets, um, I give it to them. Mm-hmm. So I tell them, I'm like, I'm sorry, it's not as nice, <laughs> but um, this is what it's doing and here's what it's done since this time and it's still going and it doesn't stop. So, but so it may become overwhelming for, for, you know, some lawyers, like, cause I, there's like a different spreadsheet for each different term. Mm-hmm. Um, so the manual com- consolidation that I do is supposed to help with that. But I, like I said, I haven't gotten to do it for three months. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have data sets like that, it can be overwhelming and, and exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So assemblages 
is like interesting in this case because we can kind of see how there's this tool that you, a human actor, have created that then others can use that learns from what's being put out through legislation and case law that's probably also influenced by the languages that we're using around describing COVID as a great example. I really like the idea of assemblages because it's this approach that kind of uh, forces us to think of technology and tools as we create as evolving with us and changing with us. And and there's a, a theorist who actually created this idea of a hybrid media system based on this idea of assemblages. And his name's Andrew Chadwick. And what he says is, our media system is constantly evolving. We're constantly incorporating new technologies and new approaches and new logics but we're not getting rid of the old ones. It's not like we got rid of broadcast media when the internet arrived. Like people still watch television. Um, and so I'm wondering, and we can speak specifically about bots or zoom out to, to your other experiences. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that idea. Like, do you see sort of this technology evolving with us? And mm -hmm. does that track for your experiences? Yeah, I guess um, maybe another better example of assemblages in in, in my life would be like uh, among sex workers. So bad date reporting, um, you know, it, it looks different to different kinds of sex workers and how it's evolved over time is much, much um, different. So say a street-based sex worker, its organizations will use just a sheet of paper and the list of names of bad dates. Um and so, but somebody who is strictly online, th there are now review boards and those sometimes boards have private sections only for the sex workers. And so they're able to share uh, details about a bad date, even if they're not on the review board. Um, and there's also like private services now um, geared towards sex workers where they can post bad date information and um, you know, sex workers all over the world can ask, access it, but you, you can only access it if you are a sex worker um, because it becomes quite dangerous if, if you don't, if you, somebody else can access it to it, right? Um, and I found actually those systems to be quite useful for me and my law work um, because the people who actually, there's actually businesses set up to help sex workers with this. Um, um, and I actually employed individuals like that to say, can you do a search on this person? I'm looking for this and I want to make sure like this, this is done. And um, I like, I would have never known about that service if, if I didn't do it, that sex work stuff. And I've, if I didn't interact with these, these systems, right. So um, they are like, as media evolves, like even on Twitter now, sex workers use Twitter now to advertise. Like I didn't see that two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and now there's a community of sex workers on Twitter that, um, knew that. And even with, um, only fans, the, the, that website, I guess you can, it's like TikTok, but with pictures and videos and it, it was actually geared towards sex workers and now they're like pushing sex workers off. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, really interesting and, and poignant example to, to think of, you know, you, you started off as saying like on the street, it might literally be a piece of paper written mm -hmm. out with pen or pencil. Um, mm -hmm. But then depending on where and through which technologies, if technologies are involved, where you're doing that work influences what kind of, of 
information sharing you can do and what sort of tools you might use to to track those bad dates. I think that's really interesting and does really highlight the networked nature of these assemblages, right? It's not just we have these tools and because the tool exists, people use it. People use the tools when it makes sense for the particular context and that context might shift. Twitter has existed for more than two or three years, but it only started being used for advertising recently. And and that is a great example of that evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even like with the advertising, like there's also like the bad data. So like sex workers frequently share that information and it's happened instantaneously. So they can use a hashtag and post the bad date details, you know, and like, for example, like if somebody was brutally, brutally assaulted, like, you know, you want that information out there right away mm-hmm. and you want it out there fast. And so it, it will get out there and there's no, um, uh, so like the other services that, that may happen, you sometimes have to pay for it. So some, some can't pay for that service. So if it's out there, and that person tries to book with them. Twitter is still searchable. It, Google, like it will pick up Google. Um, Google will pick up the tweets. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, the flexibility of it, right? So yeah, and that that way, you know, you might be you're posting it in one place, but with the intention of it being able to feed out into the rest of the network via search engines. And that's another great example of how how these different actants within the assemblage kind of can layer on to each other mm-hmm. when when needed and then sometimes might actually be separate. Right. That's, that's really neat. Yeah. So um, in terms of the assemblages, I think, I think it's really cool um, in the work that I do. So I actually help nonprofits understand lobbying and compliance with lobbying laws because they can't maintain their charity status and lobby as well. So, um, but they're engaging in advocacy work, right? So um, there's a fine line into understanding what that is. And, um, I, I am a frequent, uh, supporter of the liberal party. So I'm a card carrying member. Um, and I didn't realize, uh, once, once that happens that you're like invited to these events, potentially meeting these policymakers. And I was like, man, that's how the people get their foot in the door. So like, um, you know, I don't tell people to go actively join a party to try to lobby them because that's against the law. But, you know, if you support a policy approach and you want to go to an event, you know, you sign up and you go to it. And I think that reminds me of like all these assemblages, right? Like you don't know about those networks until you're in them. And I don't think that you actually have to be like politically engaged. Like you don't have to be in the know all the time. But it keeps you up to date, like when, say, for example, a politician might come to your town or another city that you're in or talking about something that you may be interested in in attending. So, Yeah, that is a really excellent example. And I think the the basic idea of like networking is how you get a job kind of thing, like that old, the, the like old adage, you know, or the wisdom from your parents, like go talk to people. Um, <laughs> like it, it really plays out and it does, as you've just described, really highlight the idea of assemblages because once you get people all in a room together, uh, and I mean, maybe in COVID, not in a room together, but <laughs> online <laughs> yeah. in some space together, um, yeah. you start to recognize these different connections and these different relationships. And that allows you to 
do X or Y, whatever your goals are. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. All right. So my last question for you is a quick little quiz. I'm wondering if you can explain to me what assemblages is in your own words. In my own words, I would have to say it's it's a network of systems, people, places that are able to communicate together to disseminate information um, among different streams of, of communication or modes of communication. Yeah, that's really great. Definitely, you know, you hit all of the the key parts there, the the lots of different people, organizations, things in this system, sharing information, disseminating content. Assemblages is really useful for us as political communication scholars because it is a theory that helps us create a bit of a worldview. It helps us situate the phenomena that we're interested in in some sort of context so that we can move from there and do kind of deeper analysis. So yeah, great work. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that was our episode on assemblages, that idea that our social systems are made up of a bunch of different actors, people, objects, signs, and the relationships between them. It's a useful theory for us because it helps us think about the ways that various actors and tools are part of a wider system. It helps us envision our media system as one that's made up of a bunch of different things that all are interacting with each other and changing over time. If you'd like to learn more about the various concepts and theories we talked about today, you can find links to many resources in our show notes or check out paulcomtech.ca.